Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This afternoon we have sort of a natural continuation of what we had this morning concerning the blessedness of a life that is lived in Christ, but then also the joy of knowing that upon our death we get to go and be with the Lord. And so yes, we have a natural continuation we're considering what we confess in the articles concerning the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. When a congregation like yours lives together for years, or when in, in our case, like we have with the churches of Edmonton, when we're part of a, a broader community of churches we're very blessed with very broad and, and deep relationships, very deep fellowships. And that means that we see a lot of our very dear friends and loved ones finish their course of life. And we're often there for burials and funerals. I have seen in the past a number of years that in the event of a funeral... There's one thing in particular that is very emotionally difficult when it's time to say goodbye to a loved one. And it's at that moment at the graveside when the family has to walk away. This is your dad, this is your mom, your child, your husband or your wife. This is someone who has been a constant fixture in your life, and in this moment, all of that is, is finally coming to an end, and being separated like that is like losing a piece of yourself. As a family, you go through all of the funeral arrangements, meeting with a funeral director and a pastor, and, and that can actually be a bit of a merciful thing to be so distracted with all of the details during the week, but then suddenly in that, at that one point of time at the cemetery, it's all come to a close. Your time with your loved one is over. The casket is lowered into the ground, and you as a loved one have, have sort of performed the last you know, act of love. You have done the last duty for them. And then you have to somehow get yourself to, to walk away from there. The end of a precious relationship, and you're going into life now without them. And that is hard. We talked about it this morning. It's hard because it's, it's unnatural. Again, we, we talk about death sometimes because it's a part of everyone's life, but it's not supposed to be. It's, it's a horrible intruder that doesn't belong here, and it's the last enemy to be defeated. And we all know, and maybe some of us have, we think about this all the time, maybe some of you thought about this because of this morning's sermon, we all know that our days are numbered, every single one of us. Someday, unless the Lord returns before the time of our death, we will have our own 
moment where we close our eyes for the very last time, the light in our eyes will go out, and we will simply expire. And what then? What will that be like? What will that feel like? Will it hurt? Will it be scary? Will we be, in some cases, excited for this, ready? Is this a welcome relief? There's a lot that we don't know about these things. But in God's grace and love for us, he has taught us certain things about what to expect. He's taught us what we can certainly look forward to when our life is over. Jesus has promised the resurrection to eternal life for those who belong to him. What a comfort that is to hear that promise from God himself. This is our theme for this afternoon, this promise of the resurrection to eternal life. And it's a truth that we confess in the creeds of the church. In Lord's Day 22, as mentioned, we have an exposition of these lines of the Apostles' Creed where we profess what we believe about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, the life that is to come. So yes, it's fitting that this is where we happen to have left off this morning. So we'll deal with those two items in that order. First of all, the resurrection of the body and then the life everlasting. So first of all, we, we must have an understanding of the importance of believing in the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the dead. One of the readings that we had was from 1 Corinthians 15. We read um, verses 50 through 58, but earlier in the chapter, so beginning at verse 12, the apostle Paul argues very persuasively and, and desperately urging his readers to accept the truth of the resurrection of the dead because of what is implied with it. We believe this wholeheartedly and we acknowledge what would be the case if the resurrection of the dead were not true. What a tragedy that would be. And so the Apostle Paul writes here, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 and following. I'm going to read that. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Apparently, there were some who were saying, no, it's, it's, not, it's not true. After death, our bodies are done, and now we're going to just have a spiritual existence. Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins." What that means is there is an inseparable connection between the resurrection of the dead and 
all of these benefits that we receive in Christ, like the forgiveness of sins, being justified before God, having our righteousness before God. If there is no resurrection, then what does that mean? That means that death has not been defeated. Sin still has power. Death is the undefeated enemy that looms over everyone. If, if the resurrection of the dead is not true, then death and sin is still over us, and we are completely miserable. We are lost. Verse 20, the Apostle Paul asserts then, the Holy Spirit asserts through the Apostle Paul, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Just as Christ has been raised from the dead, so we all can expect that wonderful thing to happen to us. We must believe that this is true. We are glad that God testifies to this in his word and that he has written this on our hearts. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. So now, Lord's Day 22. What do we believe about it, apart from the fact that it is true? Question and answer 57. Two things that we're comforted by and which, and which we long for. First of all, not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head. Right? And that's the first part of question and answer 57. At that moment of death, we know what happens immediately. We know that we will be with the Lord. You will close your eyes in death and you will open them spiritually in the very presence of your Savior, Jesus Christ. You will be welcomed into the presence of God. We know that the souls of those who have died are not sleeping you know, somewhere, unconscious, you know, in, in the ground or, or, or elsewhere. This is pretty clear from 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14. We read that also together. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So their souls aren't sleeping in the ground or in Hades or, or some other place. No, they are with Jesus in glory right now as we sit here. At the last day, when Jesus comes, he will appear on the clouds of heaven, and he's not going to come by himself. Look who's with him. The souls of all our loved ones. Everyone who has died in the Lord, when Christ comes, he will bring with him all who have fallen asleep in him. What a day that will be. And you know, when that happens, it's, it's going to be unmistakable, isn't it? There are certainly a great many people who do not believe in God, who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. There will be a lot of people still in that state of rejection on the day of the Lord's return, but in a moment, everyone will know what's happening. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, 
with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, what is that going to sound like? A sound heard over all the earth. An earth-shattering occasion and Jesus Christ will appear and everyone will know. And for many, yes, it will be too late and they'll wish the mountains would crumble and cover them up as if somehow that would shield them from God's displeasure and judgment. It's a terrifying thing for anyone who denies Christ. And while it is still today, we ought to plead with those who haven't turned to God, plead with them to give themselves to Jesus Christ, receive forgiveness of sins, to seek the Lord while he may be found, and to enjoy the blessing that is promised. For us, that day is not terrifying. It's a wonderful thing to look forward to. It's, it's, it's because of that day. That is why we're able to get ourselves to walk away from that graveside, not overcome, not overcome and, and crippled by grief, but we can go away with rejoicing even though we're sad. We place that loved one's body in the ground in an act of faith, knowing that the God who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise their very body to everlasting life on the day of the Lord's return. And what does the Apostle Paul say in, at the end of chapter four? And so we will always be with the Lord. All of us, together, we will be caught up together with him on the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We know that the next time that we see our husband, wife, parent, child, the one who died, the next time we see them, it will either be when we go and join them in glory, or it will be on that day, the day of that gigantic family reunion, the family of God, the first time that the church is finally complete, gathered together in, for the first time in one assembled body, immediately transformed from, from this state of weakness and, and sin and brokenness and sadness, transformed into one of unimaginable glory. What a day that is going to be. That's the promise of the life that is to come, the promise of the life everlasting. Not only are we comforted and glad because of the resurrection of the dead, but especially because of the kind of life that comes after the resurrection. It would be, it would be pretty mar remarkable, let's say, to, to rise from the dead and have another shot at life and repeat life in the same conditions, but that's not what's promised. A new kind of life is promised, a glorious one, much more glorious than anything that we can experience now. We will be transformed from mortal beings to immortal. This is our promotion, our glorification. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 and following. I tell you this, 
Brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. That we will be changed, that we will be glorified. But we know something of it. First of all, the sorrows of this life will be removed. No more grief, no more sorrow, no death, no pain. The blindness and lack of understanding that plagues all of us because of the fall into sin, that blindness will be gone. Our knowledge will be purer and greater. Our holiness and purity will be perfect. In 1 John 3, verse 2, we read that in, in some way that is beyond our understanding right now, we will be like Christ in glory. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We will be somehow, in some way, in some degree, like Christ in glory. In the verse immediately before our reading in 1 Corinthians 15, we, re we, read, we read that just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so just like we inherited sinful nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve, just like we inherit this being conceived and born in sin, a lack of perfect righteousness and holiness, just like we bore the image of the earthly man, Adam, so shall we bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus Christ, perfect in full righteousness and holiness. Why don't we have all of the details of this? I'm sure you would love to, to know more. I'm sure all of us would love to, to know more. But it's too great for us to comprehend. It's completely beyond us. It's beyond, it's beyond our wildest imaginations. That's what God says. Whatever is the most wonderful and blessed experience that you could come up with, maybe a lot of us have tried. I've certainly tried to. Whatever is the most wonderful and blessed experience we could imagine, it's incomparably greater. Our catechism quotes 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 when it says, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen nor ear heard 
nor the heart of man conceived. That means no, no heart has ever conceived of it. No heart has ever successfully imagined the kind of glory that awaits. That's what we have to look forward to. This is why we don't fear death. Death is tragic and it's sad. We weep over it. Of course we do because it's disgusting and, and, and that tearing apart of relationships, that rending of soul and body, it must be grieved, but we don't grieve as the rest of the world grieves who don't have the hope that we have. Instead, we have been given the wonderful gift of faith, faith in the things that are unseen, longing expectantly to lay hold of those things, lay hold of the glory that has been promised. While we are in this body, in our earthly bodies, our earthly tents, groaning, wanting to be renewed, but we're rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. In a moment, we're going to sing these beautiful words that were taken from 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. Our outer nature is wasting away, yet inwardly from day to day, we are in thee renewed, O Lord, our suffering here is soon endured. The harvest it for us prepares by far outweighs our woes and cares. A weight of glory unsurpassed will then be ever ours at last. We know that if our earthly tent falls to the ground all worn and rent, our God as gift to us extends a heavenly house not made with hands. We expect these things in joy, in hope, because of the certainty of the words of Jesus Christ. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, and these things are ours in him. We praise him. We thank him for this work that he has done, obtaining these gifts for us. We love him for who he is. And we cannot wait to live gloriously with him forever and ever. Amen.